honor. We often speak of the subject of honor here at the Edge Church, but today we have the opportunity to express it with remembrance. We're going to commemorate the 21st anniversary of 9-11, and we're also going to grieve with the United Kingdom for the loss of Queen Elizabeth, who was a follower of Jesus, who once said something, she once said this, she said, I have been and remain very grateful for you and your prayers and to God for his steadfast love. I have indeed seen his faithfulness. We'll observe just a moment of silence as we remember. My name is Neil, and I am one of the pastors here at the Edge Church. We recently completed our series from the book of Colossians called Christ in You. And then last week, we all gathered at the Lurup's house, and Pastor Steve highlighted the importance for all of us who call ourselves Christians to make our belief in God personal, not to co-opt anyone else's faith journey, but to personally connect with God, to receive the forgiveness that's only offered through Jesus Christ, and then to intentionally nurture our own relationships with Jesus by reading the Bible. When I was little, I had some very interesting thoughts about God, and maybe you did as well. But I remember thinking one very specific thought, that the most important thing that I needed to do was to actually just believe that God was real. Like, like literally, like God existed. And then I just had this sense, like, then I'll be okay. I wonder if you grew up with any thoughts about God um, that you now look back at and you're like, where on earth did that come from? Today, I have the privilege of kicking off this new series called Vintage Faith, and it's based on the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. The word faith is one of those words that I think is um, often very confusing for people. Um, and I think it's at least partially because it's often used poorly in the church and in the culture. Christians use the word faith all the time. And so does the culture. So it gets all mixed up and, and jumbled. And it's, it's not really surprising that any of us feel a little bit confused around the subject of faith. Have you ever failed to prepare for a test and then gone into the test and just relied on your faith? And the question is, like, faith in what? Maybe you grew up and to you, uh, being really positive about life is what faith looked like to you. Um, almost kind of like that law of attraction, that if you just act really positive, you're going to attract positive things. Have you ever been told by someone that to be a Christian meant that you just had to take this giant leap of faith, like you almost had to step off, off this ledge into the dark and, and then sort of check your brain at the door of the church and just go for it? Has anyone ever tried to make you feel better in a hard situation in your life or at work or in your parenting or in a health crisis by saying, it's all going to be okay, just have faith? Maybe you're the one who said that to someone else. Here's the thing. There are all sorts of ideas that we have about this concept of faith. And they really tend to fall short in the way that they just tend to be like hopes and wishes or desires for better circumstances, good results, or this preferred future. In other words, we really, really hope, hey, fingers crossed that this all turns out right. But as followers of Jesus, we need to grow in this and we need to have an understanding of it that is challenged. 
We want to get this concept right so that we live out authentic lives before God, God-centric lives, so we don't mislead others as we speak about what this faith means to us and what it's all about. In this series called Vintage Faith, we will follow a long list of people in the Bible who were commended by God for their faith. We're not going to talk about any of those people today. We're going to focus on just the first three verses of chapter 11 so that we develop a foundational understanding of why we need faith and what it really is. So join with me in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Interesting uh, few verses. Might, you might sort of hear that and, and it sort of blends into something. You're just like, yeah, it's about faith. But there's a lot going on there. We're going to get into that in a minute. But no matter what your faith background is or isn't, no matter what you personally think of faith right now, I would bet that all of you would agree, regardless of your background, that it's when things get hard in your life, when struggle happens, that you are most likely to turn to some element of faith. The author of Hebrews was writing to a group of persecuted Jewish Christians They were undergoing extreme persecution of every kind imaginable. And the author was encouraging them to stay faithful to God in the midst of the trial. Because in the midst of trials, we often want to take the easy way out. We we want to escape the pain. That's a normal thing. But the author was saying, no, stay faithful to God. Stay faithful to God. It will all be worth it. And, And you can read a little bit about this persecution in the previous chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 36. The author says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you, were, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Listen, it's not when you're on vacation that you need to be reminded to have faith. That's easy. It's easy to sit back and be comfortable and and feel like life's good, God's good. It's when life gets really hard. It's when your everyday tasks sort of feel pointless or you sort of feel like purpose light, like you're lacking purpose in your life or when you feel abandoned by God, then it's hard to have faith. And it's this background that the author continues and then moves into the subject of faith. From the start, I want to acknowledge that these first three verses, the wording's a little bit confusing to me. Like how can you have confidence for things hoped for? Hoping for something already sounds a little bit like a risk to me. Like, hey, it may or may not happen. I really hope it does, but it might not. So how are we supposed to have confidence in something that we hope for? Um, As with everything in scripture, context and, and definitions are super, super important for us. And you'll get a huge help if you go to the original Greek language that the passage is written in. 
and you can find that the words in question come into a better and more understandable focus than, uh, than uh, when we just read it uh, straight out of the text, we get more accurate definitions. So let's start with confidence. The word confidence in the, in the original Greek in this passage, it's better defined as reality. Um, which, doesn't that have a stronger feel? It sounds really solid, like a firm foundation to it. The truth is, you can be confident about something and have that confidence be built on something that isn't true. But if confidence actually means reality, reality is simply that. It's real. It's true. It's actual. It's tangible. That sounds more strong, doesn't it? The second word phrase is assurance about. But in the original Greek, it's more accurately defined as a total certainty in God's promise. Doesn't that sound a whole lot better? Total certainty in God's promise. So when you put those things together, faith is better defined as the reality of the total certainty in God's promises. Step back for a second. Why do you think that the author so confidently writes about a reality and a total certainty? Well, it has to be because that author was completely convinced of the truth of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when you believe strongly in those things, when you believe, you take hold of those things as reality, it's very, very easy to believe that God's in control of all of this and he is trustworthy because he is real and he's true. All of this human experience that we're in called life, it hinges on the one who created all things, the one who holds all of these things together and even has control over life and death. In essence, the author is saying, that's the one. He's the guy. He is trustworthy. And his promise for you that one day you'll be in eternity with him holds true even when you're going through the hardest of times in life. So much pain, so much suffering, so much questioning here on earth, one day it'll all be worth it. In these three verses, we learn from the author that faith in God is connected to the past, it's connected to the present, and it's connected to the future. The passage starts by speaking to the future, which sort of messes with how our brains work. You want to do past, present, future. But we're going to go with it. The future, of course, means with God in eternity. Like this eternal home, heaven is a real place. It's for real. And that's our first point today, that faith is to be placed in the God of our future. Faith is to be placed in the God of our future. I think that for some of us, and I think for me at times, we might have developed a contempt for something this simple, where it's like, yeah, 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 I get it. One day, one day we'll, we'll be in heaven or one day I'll be in heaven. But what about now, God? What do you have for me now? I've heard so many quotes over the years about not being so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. And I agree with them to the extent that God wants us to impact the world that he's placed us in. But I'm afraid that in our overzealous attempts to make Christians do more things on earth, that we've sort of lost our marvel for the hope of heaven. Think about this for a second. Do you really think that when you enter heaven that you're going to be upset for a moment that things didn't go well for you even many times on earth? Do you think that you're going to run to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I love what you've done with the place. This is awesome. But can you answer some questions that I have about how you mishandled my life? 
on earth. No, I think we're going to be utterly in awe of heaven and of spending time with Jesus and seeing all the people that went before us in the faith. I think we're going to be so overwhelmed that we're going to be dumbfounded with joy as we're flooded with God's grace and love and presence. Paul sums up life so simply. It's almost frustratingly simple how he says it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. He's speaking to people going through really hard times and dying. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Life is hard. We struggle to pay the bills, and we struggle to make good decisions, and we, we wrestle with what job we should do, and, and then we get sick, and we have car trouble, and we have relational issues, and sometimes we have relational issues to the extent that our relationships fall apart. We teach our kids about God, and sometimes they go astray, and sometimes there's persecution, and yet Paul sums it all up like this, light and momentary. That's how he sums up all of the issues that we have on earth, light and momentary. If you are a Christian, one day you're going to breathe your last breath. And in one moment, you're going to be in the very presence of Jesus and your faith will be made sight and your pain will be gone forever and your tears will be forever dried and your love will absolutely explode as you enter into that place that Jesus went to make specifically for you. It is right to have faith in this kind of God. He is promise-keeping, and he's loving, and he's for us. And he, he is who he says he is, and he can do what he said he can do. Now, to be clear, I am completely convinced that faith in Jesus is also for us while we live here in this earth. But I know more than ever that no matter what God grants me or does not grant me in this life, that this place is not my forever home, and it's not yours either. If God never gave you one more thing on earth that was good, I am confident more than ever that heaven will make up for it all. But let's move back from the future to the present. Can you follow me there? Because this passage leads us to our second point, that faith should be exercised in the God of the present in the present. Faith should be exercised in the God of the present, in the present. Here's what I mean by that. How does your faith show that what you believe that is unseen is real? So our faith is all about this unseen God that nobody has seen on earth, but we believe that, that he is real. He created all things and he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead on the third day. And because we have put our faith in him, we will one day go to heaven. That's a lot of faith. So what does it look like? How do you show your faith in, in this, this extremely amazing being that is God? How do we do that when he is unseen? James, the brother of Jesus, eloquently addressed this whole faith works controversy that has always permeated the church. James chapter 2, verse 18. He says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. 
James, James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. The famous evangelist Billy Graham often asked this question at his crusades. He said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a weird sounding question, but wow, it really got me thinking. It's, rel- it's relatively easy for me to say that I'm a Christian in the United States. Um, I would argue that it's quickly becoming harder for many reasons, but the truth is we're probably not going to pay a significant price, meaning like with your life, you're not going to pay um, with your life for saying that you're a Christian. You're probably not going to sacrifice your safety or even your livelihood. Yet your faith should still look like something, right? So what does it look like? Let me ask you some questions. How do you live in a way that demonstrates your trust in this unseen God to the people who see you every day? I'm not talking about people on missions trips. I'm talking about people in your life today. Are you growing in kindness even when you're overworked and overstressed? Are you becoming more generous even with inflation and a crashing stock market? Are you loving more even when the world mocks you and your beliefs? Are you telling the truth more when the ideology of the day directs us and our kids further away from the truth of heaven and of themselves? Basically, are you living in a way that is countercultural enough that people almost have to stop to take a look at what you believe and in whom you believe? The Apostle Paul uh, talks about the importance of being transformed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he, he, he writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are you going to do that? How are you going to be transformed? We'll only do that by making our focal point Jesus and asking the Spirit of God to walk with us all the way until we get to our forever home with the Lord in heaven. I rarely use the King James Version of the Bible, um, but I love a word uh, it uses when talking about how Christians should be known. First um, Peter 2.9, it says, but you are a chosen people. Uh, instead of chosen, the King James Version says, but you are a peculiar people. In other words, you're, you're different. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're supposed to look different. 1 Peter 2.12, it says, Live such good lives among pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Faith looks like something in the present. Here's our last point today. Our faith is bolstered by what God has done. Our faith is bolstered by what God has has done. Just like stories of what God has done in our lives encourages us and others to believe that God has healing and provision and goodness for them too, our origin story, and I'm talking about all people, our origin story reminds us that God is and has always been faithful to us. Verse 3 says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Why was that included? That sounds so random when when you first read it. But when I reread the verse, I'm reminded that we are part of the story that God created. 
all the way from the beginning, and then he placed us in it. So we shouldn't get too focused on this present reality. We look at our lives today, and it's real and it's tangible, and we think that um, the spiritual world is something that's not as real. But the truth is that God is the origin of all of this. So we shouldn't focus too much on this when he is writing a larger story. We need to be encouraged to live in a way that centers the creator who is beyond time and beyond space, rather than this temporary location and our momentary circumstances. God is inviting all of us to put our faith in Jesus. The one Hebrews 13 verse 8 describes as constant and reliable always. It reads, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The pastor uh, Edward Mote was born in London in 1797. And he grew up in a home that was, um, his parents owned a a local pub and they were often gone. And and he describes his childhood as um, his parents really didn't see any need for God. As a matter of fact, he didn't even know about God. God changed him one day after he entered a church. And he was a, a cabinet maker by trade. And then he ended up becoming a pastor and a hymn writer. As Pastor Edward Mote wrote in 1834, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All other ground is sinking sand. The invitation that you are going to hear over and over in this sermon series is not to invite you to become a better or more moral person, but that you would know the one who is the object of each person's faith in Hebrews chapter 11. This series is all about Jesus. He is the object and he is the foundation of our faith. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God has always been. This is his story and we're just a part of it. What is it that you've put your faith in? If you've put your trust in anything besides Jesus, and I would say at some point, every single one of us would have to say, yeah, I've put my trust in money. I've put my trust in relationships. I've put my trust in my work ethic. I've put my trust in my ability to move and shake. I've put my trust in in who I am or or what I want. If you have Uh, done any of those things, and you've never turned your life over to Jesus, I invite you now to lay that all down and start fresh today. If you can hear this today, if you're watching this, it's not too late for you. If you would like to put your faith in Jesus today, I invite you just to pray this prayer with me. Make it your own. This is just a way that you could pray. Jesus, I have built my life on getting more things, impressing more people, and living by my own code and I've sinned against you. And today I know that there's no good future in that and that I will answer to you and you alone for it. So today I ask you to be my foundation. And by faith, I turn to you and ask you to be first place in my life. And by faith, I thank you that your word says that you will never leave me and you will walk with me all the days of my life until I leave this life and enter life eternal with you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.